Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Access Christmas party. Glad you're here. Find a seat. Find a seat. Tonight, super excited to be with you all tonight. Whether this is your 10th, 100th time here, whether this is your first time here, super, super excited to have you. Tonight, we have the special and great honor of reading the greatest story ever told on this Christmas evening. Welcome to Fireside Chats with Pastor Jared. So good. Come on. The greatest story ever told. We're going to read it together. This is Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can flip on open. We're going to Luke chapter 2 this evening. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to be preaching just a short and a simple message out of Luke 2, reading about the birth of Jesus. But before I get into it, I just really felt something on my heart tonight. Um, I just felt like tonight was supposed to be like a family night. So we got the rug, we got the side table, we got this little chair here, and we're just going to have a chat here tonight. But I just felt like something deep on my heart and actually came out through our inter- time of intercession is that maybe this Christmas, this Christmas time, is uh, some of you are looking at it and actually you're not filled with excitement, maybe. Maybe you're actually filled with nervousness or anxiety. And I think what Pastor Nick was sharing at the tail end of worship is so, so good, is that we're celebrating this Christmas season. What are we celebrating? Jesus came from heaven. He came to earth to be the Prince of Peace. And I believe that through this message and through us reading scripture together as a community, that we're gonna feel a glimpse into that peace. We're going to feel that glimpse. And I believe it's going to spread into our families. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. Luke 2. Luke 2, verse 1. says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. We're going to pause here a minute, but this, so this word registered, like what's actually really happening here? So registered, basically Quirinius, while he was governing Syria and Herod as he was governing Jerusalem and all Judea, he, he made this decree. And this decree went forth that everyone had to be counted. So it was, it was like a census. And in order for this census to take place, everyone had to go back to their hometown. Everyone had to go back to their hometown. Now, for some people, that was just a a quick little, maybe one, two-day journey. But for others, it was quite a distance. So everyone had to be registered. They all had to be counted. And so we continue in verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. So Joseph, census goes out, man, Caesar Augustus makes this proclamation. Joseph, he has to return to his hometown. He has to leave Nazareth and Galilee and he has to go back to Bethlehem. So that was about for an average, you know, robust individual. That was about a three to four days journey. So he would have had to walk three to four days from Nazareth and get back to Galilee. But here's the thing. So this is the first time we hear this Joseph And so who really was Joseph? A lot of times we know Joseph as the father of Jesus, stepfather really of Jesus, but there's not really much given about his life, right? 
but through reading, you know, church followers and early historians and Jewish historians, we actually, and it, even in the Bible, it says that J- Joseph was a carpenter, and we've actually heard about that before, right? What's super interesting is that the word carpenter there is actually the, the Greek word tekton, and so we get, we get our, our word technology from, from that Greek word. And so Joseph, he was a carpenter. He was a carpenter, this word tekton. And this word actually means like it would have been used to describe someone who made furniture. It would have been used to, ma- to describe someone who made like ornate jewelry. It would have been used to describe someone who sold gold or oversaw business projects. And so Joseph, he was this carpenter. And sometimes we get this image that, man, like, you know, Jesus was born into this, this poor, lowly family, right? And compared to heaven, yeah, Jesus was, right? I mean, compared to heaven, he was. But at the same time, Joseph actually would have been a very, very successful. And he actually, he would have been a very, very successful businessman. And I think we can pull something really, really unique from that is that God in heaven he chose to give his most precious gift, Christ, which means the anointed one. He chose to give his most precious gifts to a man who had been stewarding his gifts faithfully. God in heaven, he gave though his one and only son, his anointed to this man who was stewarding his gifts faithfully. And I think from that, we can pull an application from this story. We can say, Man, if I want to grow in the grace of God that I receive in my life, if I want to grow in receiving the anointing of God on my life, if I want to go in the next level of the Lord, you know what the first step is? It's to be faithful with the thing that God has already given you. You don't like your job? Keep plugging away. Like, go ask God, God, how can I be faithful in my job right now? Your family relationships, friendships are strained. God, how can I be faithful right now? Because when I'm faithful with what God has, he opens up and gives me this opportunity for more. So Joseph was a faithful man. And Joseph takes him, his wife, and his son-to-be, and they head into Bethlehem. Now, this is crazy. So God used Caesar Augustus, who Caesar Augustus, he was not a man that followed Jesus. He was not a man that walked in the way of God at all, right? But God used this man to get Joseph into the place where he needed to be, which was Bethlehem. And why did Jesus need to go to Bethlehem? One, it was actually prophesied in 700 years before Jesus was born, it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And you can actually read this prophecy. It's in Micah. And the book of Micah, it's a small little prophet, book of the prophets in the Old Testament. And in this book, the prophet Micah, he sees into the future what would happen. I'm flipping there right now. He, but he sees into the future of what would happen. And he makes this prophecy. And I want to read this prophecy to us because it, it is so, so powerful. This is Micah chapter five. If you're following along, you can flip with me there. Verse two, this is what the prophet Micah spoke 700 years before Jesus was to be born. Are you ready? But you, Bethlehem and Ephrathah, 
Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. Listen, the prophet Micah, Everyone who heard the prophet Micah say this thing 700 years before Jesus ever came on the scene, they probably thought, dude, what are you talking about? Like, that makes no sense. Like, you just spoke this word and yeah, this, this one's gonna like give birth and then he's gonna bring everybody out of captivity and there, this, in this one shall be peace. What are you talking about? And guess what? Micah, he actually lived his whole life without ever seeing that prophecy come to fulfillment. Micah obeyed the Lord, even when it meant he never saw the fruit of his obedience. What if God in this Christmas season might be asking us to do the same, to do what's right, to obey the Lord, to take the steps that are after him in his kingdom, to stand up, to maybe say things that are from God to people and they scratch their head and they say, dude, you're crazy. That makes no sense. But what if God could use that obedience to change people's lives, to change your life? But even if he doesn't in your lifetime, would we still obey? It's good. Another thing I see from this is that God's word always gets accomplished. Always. It's not 50-50. It's not, hmm, I got, you know, God gave me this word. I guess it has a chance. No. It says in, I believe it's Isaiah. Yeah, Isaiah 55 verse 11 says that, so shall be my word which goes out from my mouth. It shall accomplish the thing for which I sent it. God's word went out from Micah's mouth here 700 years before it was to be fulfilled. But when it came time for, when it came time for Jesus to be born, what happened? God influences this ungodly man to have a census that goes across the entire earth. Why? So that Joseph would take his wife to be who's bearing the anointed, the one that this prophecy is going to fulfill, to bring that person back into Bethlehem. That is mind-blowing to me. Like God will go to great lengths to fulfill his word. And if he fulfilled, if he was willing to go to great lengths to fulfill his word from Micah's mouth, then he's willing to go to great lengths to fulfill the word that he has spoken to you as well. He is. So don't give up. Don't give up. Man, if you have a word from God that your entire family is going to come to know Jesus, don't give up. That word of God, if you will press in, it will be fulfilled. If you have a word from God that you're going to do something big for him and his kingdom, if you have a word from God 
to, to take a different step of obedience. Don't give up even when people think you're crazy because it's literally only a matter of time because God's word will be accomplished. It will, it will. So they travel into Bethlehem. Another interesting fact about Bethlehem is, you know, Bethlehem in the, in the Hebrew, it actually means city of bread. And so Mary and Joseph, they, they travel to the city of bread and Mary ultimately gives birth to Jesus. Jesus grows up and, and, and when he's about 30, 31, 32 years old, he preaches a message in John 6. And in John 6, you can read this, he's standing before a crowd of people and he says these words, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Mary and Joseph traveled to the city of bread and the bread of life would come out of Mary. This bread of life for the healing provision and salvation for the entire world. So the crazy thing is, actually, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. We'll keep going. So which is called Bethlehem because he was the house and the lineage of David. Verse five says, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and he laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. God takes him all the way, right? From Nazareth and Galilee to Bethlehem. And, G and Mary gives birth to Jesus. And it says, they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and they laid him in a manger. Now, here's the question. I, when I read this, my, a question popped up in my mind and said, what are swaddling clothes? I don't know if you've ever re realized or recognized that. You know, we say that all the time and maybe we've heard this a lot at Christmas. You know, there he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, right? I'm like, I don't know, swaddling clothes, that sounds pretty comfy. Can I have some? You know, like that's kind of what I'm thinking, right? Is it like a big onesie? Did they like put him in a onesie and then put him in the manger? I don't know. Swaddling clothes. So they put him in a manger, right? So this manger was in a stable. And a lot of times when we think of the stable, we think of, you know, a nice like wooden barn, right? And the, the manger is wooden, but it's actually more than likely in this part of the world, the, the stables that were used by the shepherds at those days was, was actually probably a cave in the side of a mountain. And the, the manger that was in the cave was actually probably hewn out or carved out of that cave. So they were in this cave with all of these sheep, right? All of these sheep. But here's the thing, the, the, the shepherds of those days, there were a certain group of shepherds that were actually commissioned by the local rabbis to raise lambs that would be sacrificed in order to atone for the sins of the people. And it's crazy, the, the, uh, the Jewish historian Josephus, he writes in one of his historical records that at a certain Passover, there were over 260,000 lambs that were sacrificed at Passover. 260,000, that's crazy. And so there was these groups of shepherds that the rabbis, they commissioned to raise up these spotless lambs that would be used 
as a sin sacrifice that would cover over the sins of the people for one calendar year. So when the shepherds, they would bring them back into these caves, when they would bring them back into these caves, if a, if a little lamb was born, what they would do is they would wrap it with swaddling clothes. These lambs, which would eventually grow up to pay for the sins of the entire Jewish nation, they would wrap them in swaddling clothes and they would lay them in a manger. Why? It was because there was no, the lamb could have no blemish or defect found in it. And to protect the lamb from skinning maybe its leg or from losing a chunk of hair, they would wrap these lambs in swaddling clothes in order to protect it until it could be examined by the priest and found perfect. And so also Jesus, our Savior and Lord, who would become the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, was wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, grew up, lived a sinless life, no blemish, no defect. He was spotless. And just like those lambs at Passover, Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. He died a death that he didn't deserve. He died the death that we deserved. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again defeating sin, death, and the devil. No longer needing these spotless lands, no longer needing 260,000 just to make people right only for one calendar year and then to do it all over again. He made us right once and for all by the blood that he shed on the cross. And today, the same Savior is offering us a way to have relationship with God. He's offering us a way out of our sin and into a life of abundance. In this Christmas season, we want to give every single one of us a, a chance in this room to accept that relationship with Christ. To say, Lord, I see the reason why you came. It was beautiful. But the reason you came was to redeem humanity, to provide a way to enter relationship with Jesus. You're saying, God, I see and I agree that you came, you lived a sinless life, you died a sinner's death, but you raised again after three days. And you're saying today, I'm done living this life of sin. Maybe you're in this room today and if you're honest with yourself, maybe you've never ever actually made Jesus the Lord of your life. If you're honest with yourself, maybe you've been half in and half out. Like you've let Jesus be Lord over certain things in your life, but then there's other things that you're like, you know what, Jesus, you, ah, those are my things and like, I'm just gonna keep doing. Listen, Jesus didn't leave heaven he didn't leave his glory next to the father to come to the earth, to die a gruesome death and then raise again after the third day. He didn't do that just for 50% of your life. 
Jesus didn't hang there on the cross and say, you know what? I'm only gonna give 75% of my life, but I'm gonna stay living. No, he, he, he gave everything for us. And if he gave everything, he's inviting us to give everything to him. So tonight, if that's you, and you're saying tonight's my night, December 21, 2023, I wanna make Jesus the Lord of my life. I need something to change in my life and I want to pursue the real deal relationship with God. You don't have to have it all figured out. All you need to do is make a decision for Christ. I'm gonna count to three. And if that's you, I want you to actually stand and the reason why I'm inviting you to stand is one, because we are a family here at Access. And listen, we've all come to this spot where we've come to the end of ourselves and we found our life in Jesus. And we want to celebrate with you. The decision that you are making to follow Christ is the best decision you will ever make in your entire life. And then number two is Jesus. He gave his life for us and he demonstrated his love for us publicly. And he invites us to demonstrate our love for him publicly as well. So everyone, with your eyes open, sitting down, that's you right here. I'm gonna count to three. And on three, you can stand up if you wanna give your life to Jesus. One, two, three, stand up. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Yes, thank you, Lord, amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, come on, give it up for our brothers, yes. Come on, anybody else? Anybody else? You want to stand up? You want to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Amazing. Thank you, God. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Yes. So good. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Come on, we're going to pray a prayer together. Everybody, you can bow your heads and close your eyes. The reason why we're praying this prayer is we're making a verbal declaration to God to commit our life to God. And this is how we begin that relationship. Bible says that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And that's exactly what we're gonna do. So everyone repeat after me, say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins. Father, I'm sorry for the life that I've lived. I repent and I make you today the Lord, the King, the master of my life. And just as you raised from the dead, so also I will raise up into life with you. Holy Spirit, Help me and fill me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Yes, thank you, Lord. Come on, can we give it up for them one more time? Come on, death to life. We love it. Thank you so much. Woo. So good. So, so good. So good. All of those people who stood up, if you could just make eye contact with me here a minute, I just want to encourage you. And maybe this is for some, some of the other people in, your, in the room too who have maybe made a, a, a decision for Jesus, but are wondering maybe what are some next steps? This is, this is it. 
All right, first step is, man, get a Bible if you don't have one. This is the word of God. Read your Bible every single day. Start in the book of John. It's an easy book to read. You'll learn all about Jesus. And every time you read your Bible, pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, show me who Jesus is. And just watch what will happen. Number two, pray every day. What is prayer? It's simply having a conversation with God. It's all it is. And the conversation is two ways, right? So that means I share with God the things that are on my heart, but I provide space to actually hear what's on God's heart as well. Number three is stay connected to a body of believers. Man, you just made the best decision of your life, but you can't do this life on your own. Can I get an amen from anybody? Hey, come on. And it's so much more fun living life with others when you're chasing after Jesus together. Find a group of people and go after Jesus together. Last thing, ready? Number four is get baptized. Get baptized. And this is for anybody here in this room. Actually, on January 14, we have a baptism service with, at Res Life. And uh, it'll be in the main sanctuary. And we just, man, I would encourage you, register tonight for that baptism if you have not been baptized since you believe. When we get baptized, we join Jesus in his death and are raised with him in his resurrection. So, so good. Amen? Amen. Amen. So awesome.